I think a great learning example from this is the uh, Philippines Department of Tourism, actually, and it's not a current learning. It's actually what they what they did in response to the 2013 typhoon hyena hit. What they actually did was they used a campaign called It's More Fun in the Philippines, where they asked Filipinos to share their version of the country um, in Instagram photos and in other content. So by eliciting this avalanche of free content, uh, when that typhoon actually hit, they leveraged that to help curb the potential impact on the tourism industry. And I think the interesting thing to note here is that consumers are actually ahead of advertisers right now. Um, Consumers are looking forward and most messaging is looking back. Curious to know what industry-leading marketers are looking to achieve in the ever-evolving digital landscape? The How Agencies Thrive podcast by StackAdapt is dedicated to helping the new breed of forward-thinking, savvy, lean, and mean marketers win in the rapidly evolving digital landscape. Time to thrive. Hello and welcome to our first official episode of How Agencies Thrive podcast. My name is Vitaly Pichersky, the host of this podcast. And today I have a few people from StackAdapt joining me for a roundtable discussion on the topic of digital advertising today. Hello, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Vitaly. Hey, Vitaly. <laughs> Hi, Vitaly. So as you probably heard, there's five of us. So five people on the podcast. Is that too much? We'll find out shortly, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have to make it work because as as you probably figured out, we're recording this episode entirely virtual. So this is the best we can do. So um, again, thank you all for joining. Um, I think it's going to be a really great chat for us to kick off the the season uh, of this of this podcast. We're going to have 12 episodes uh, within the season. So this is episode one. Um, I think Maybe before we actually dive into discussion, why don't we do a quick round of introductions so that listeners know uh, who we have here today. Um, So uh, Pam, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Vitaly. I'm excited to be part of this podcast and this roundtable. My name is Pam McBride, and I am part of the marketing team here at StackAdapt. Awesome. And I'm Eli Bartikoff. I'm a sales director at StackAdapt, working with clients from a wide array of verticals, from political to CPG to healthcare to you you name it. Cool. And uh, I'm Meredith Henschel, and I work with Christian on the solutions team here at StackAdapt. Um, so really, our team sits between, you know, all things product and partnerships and all things sales. And, you know, we're here to create solutions for um, for our clients here at StackAdapt. Cool. And yeah, so my name is Christian St. Louis, and I am on the solutions team as well, um, which Meredith mentioned. Um, and I have more of a focus on the data side of things and the data partnerships uh, that we work with. And as you'll see in a later episode, uh, I have a chat with with John Shaughnessy from LiveRamp, which um, we'll talk about a little bit later. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot um, for this introduction. So as you as, uh, you have gathered, we have, a, we have a very good representation of people from all size of the business, so from data and inventory solutions to revenue and marketing. So hopefully we'll be able to give a pretty good macro view of the industry and what we're observing when we work with our clients. And hopefully that will be a good basis for for people to think like what kind of learnings we can, um, uh, what kind of learnings they can take away from us and potentially apply to their business. So 
Uh, Pam and I actually started conceptualizing this podcast um, probably when, maybe six months ago or a year? Mm-hmm. Probably around 2019, I think we, we started talking about it. And now just seemed to be the ideal time to get it off the ground. Yeah, so we're as we're about to kick it off, uh, we went to work remotely. So we thought, well, we don't know when we're going to come back to the office. So we may as well keep keep going with it and launch it. So um, um, I think from we have at this point six episodes recorded, and I thought they were all incredible. So I'm very excited to actually get this out to market. Um, and if anything, the timing is even probably better now because there's been so many changes in the business for businesses since mid March, and um, and we really want to be to have that platform uh, to share knowledge and help uh, our customers and and other companies navigate through these changes. So um, I think the basis for today's conversation would probably be um, the work that our team has been putting into um, researching changes into the in the market. Um, we've called this research project "Managing Through Uncertainty," and we've uh, packaged our research um, around certain verticals that we would do a lot of business in. And today's discussion will be largely focused around changes that we've observed in the industry and some of the insights that we really would would love our listeners to take away from it. So um, we'll probably start with Christian. And I, to be honest, I have a huge list of questions to, for the team. <laughs> um, why don't we start with you, Christian? Um, obviously, your experience is very uh, heavily weighted on the data side and data solutions, and you work closely with the team to engineer solutions for for our customers. And uh, when you worked on uh, managing through uncertainty reports, you you did, did a lot of work in the B two B vertical. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about some of the key learnings that you took away from from this work. And um, are there anything? Uh, are there any specific things that you would want listeners to take away from uh, from our, our today's conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a bunch of key takeaways uh, specific to the B2B industry um, within advertising. Um, and I think one of the things that stands out the most and is highlighted in our Managing Through Uncertainty series is um, with the disappearance of or the lack thereof um, for human-to-human interactions and um, things like conferences, live events, um, and you know, just any in-person interaction that might lead to uh, a sale or um, you know, a qualified lead to per- to put it in B two B terms, that's kind of been shut out um, over the last month and a half. And uh, eMarketer released a stat that said 53% of US B two B marketers consider in-person events and trade shows uh, a very effective channel for conversion. And so. Reaching decision makers um, in a digital manner has been kind of a big strategy and tactic shift to help replace some of those leads um, that were human and in-person driven. Um, And one of the key things that we focus on and that we've noticed uh, with partners like LiveRamp and other data providers, that decision makers are obviously still working um, and they're just working at home. And there's no reason why a lot of those in-person leads can't be converted to digital leads, um, you know, with different innovative strategies. And so that's one of the main focuses of, of the B2B industry is understanding how can you reach that same audience that's now working at home, but still has to make those, those B2B decisions on, you know, potentially buying a, subs- a subscription to a company like Dropbox or like a, uh, you know, large software provider. Um, there's still, those decisions are still being made uh, at companies all around the world. And I think maybe uh, to your point, you know, with B two B or software companies, 
it's 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 different than a consumer company. Like if you take um, an example, an airline. Um, once airlines uh, open up again, you know, if you want to go to Europe, you get on a plane and you get there. There's really not that many alternatives. Uh, when it comes to B two B sales, on the other hand, the buying behavior may change forever. And if if companies have been delaying changing their strategy towards more digital focus lead generation away from maybe in-person like conferences or, or in-person in visits, they might be at a huge disadvantage potentially for years to come. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and one, you know, this is kind of a catalyst for change uh, in the B2B realm. And, and eMarketer released another stat that was kind of lends itself to that and that 25% of B2B marketers said that they'll reinvest uh, reinvest the impacted trade show budgets and conference budgets into digital advertising. So I think a lot, um, this is really being a, a catalyst for change um, for B2B driving towards more of a digital approach. And I think there's that's also proven um, with our chat with LiveRamp, we talked about kind of like what the percentage of different data requests look like. And they were seeing the highest percentage of requests um, coming from B2B lately. Um, so I think there's it's it's really a catalyst for change, and that will spur change going going forward into the future. And there's actually a study that's uh, I had a stat here about a study that's let me see where it is. Yeah, so there's a study that was done by the European Journal of Social Psychology back in 2009 that said it takes 66 days to form a new habit. And you know we're around day 50, I think now in Toronto of of sheltering in place. And the fact that uh, you know the you know, people staying at home will take more than sixty six days, likely um, in certain areas of the world, new habits will form, and and it's likely that that you know for B two B and consumer, like a, a lot of these habits will be taken into um, it will be kind of become the new norm for years to come. Yeah, Christian, to your point on that, um, I think right now for B two B marketers, you know, like all marketers right now. There's an opportunity to help people uh, transition to the new normal. As you mentioned, you know, we're in around day 50 or something like that, um, sheltering in place. So I think for B2B marketers, especially, you know, if they have a tool that can help the millions of people who are now working from home or learning from home, you know, now is the time that they they can really break in and help people um, with this transition and potentially, you know, after things start to ease up, um, you know, the, it could have a lasting impact on the way the businesses structure or like, you know, which products are now considered essential for uh, a new business to use on, on their daily basis. So I think, you know, some of the recommendations we've been seeing or, or giving is, you know, allow, give your clients like some sort of free trial or reduced pricing or something like that to let them test your product out to see if it's a tool that can help them out um, during this time, because that's really what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, one indicator of that alone is just if you look up Zoom's stock price, uh, that's all you really need to know. Is that like, the, you know, the change is huge when it comes to, you know, the digital workforce and digital education. Uh, and Zoom really, the stock price really highlights that trend. Yeah, and there's, I, 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 there's probably a lot of businesses right now that think that they will not be affected. Um, obviously, for example, education. Yes, there is summer semester, but I think the big bet for them is that everything will go back to normal in September. Um, what if it doesn't? And uh, people still have to um, take majority of their classes online. So that will probably spark a huge new uh, buying uh, cycle uh, for these institutions that have been just 
waiting it out a little bit longer. I think on the on the flip side of that, you'll also see companies that have realized they're they're able to do business remotely as well. Which I think, you know, companies like Zoom and other, you know, B2B companies or technology companies that cater towards that and facilitate and make that easy, easier at least, uh, you know, will likely see some sort of surge and, you know, potentially adapt their messaging to, you know, cater potentially this entirely new, you know, remote workforce uh, as potentially companies kind of start to, you know, not necessarily adapt to, you know, the current situation, but potentially make plans going forward as well. For software companies right now, is just uh, would it be fair to say that it's a it's a land grab because it's so scalable? I think that's fair to say, and I also think that typically B two B sales cycles tend to be longer uh, than B two C sales cycles, and I think what most B two B uh, companies are going to realize is the value of promoting themselves online and promoting themselves digitally as opposed to. Um, the other means of out of home or event based marketing that they used to do. So I think it's also going to place a greater emphasis and greater value on actually finding people online and, um, you know, promoting their products and services to them, which has typically been a very strong B2C play. Speaking of B2C, Pam, um, obviously you, you were very closely involved in uh, making our managing through uncertainty reports happen. And when people think about uh, verticals that have been the most impacted by by COVID and, and pandemic is uh, is travel and tourism. So seeing that, knowing that you've done a lot of research in, in that specific vertical, how are our advertisers there adjusting to what's, what's happening now and w- what sort of outlook they have for the rest of 2020? So that's interesting because... Many industries or sectors have actually been impacted by the current climate, but perhaps none so much, um, none so drastically as travel and tourism, because it also spans several areas. It includes transportation, because like you said, I need to fly somewhere. I need to take a train. Um, I need to go on a cruise. It, it, you know, it involves accommodation, even events and attractions. Think of Coachella or Disneyland. And even though today's particular impact is on a total global level, to be honest, brands in the tourism sector have not been immune to experiencing disruption in the past. Um, it, for most uh, tropical locations, it's called Mother Nature. Um, so there have been several ways um, that they can learn from the past. And most of them um, look to building brand equity today that they can use for tomorrow. So if it Today, the most we can say is if you start investing in communications, then you will be well-placed when a disaster strikes. Um, You will not be immune to hurricanes, typhoons, cyclones, et cetera, unfortunately. Um, But, you know, investing in some form of communications can help uh, cushion you from potential impact. So I think a great learning example from this is the uh, Philippines Department of Tourism, actually. And it's not a current learning. It's actually what they what they did in response to the 2013 Typhoon Hyena hit. What they actually did was they used a campaign called It's More Fun in the Philippines, where they asked Filipinos to share their version of the country um, in Instagram photos and in other content. So by eliciting this avalanche of free content, uh, when that typhoon actually hit, they leveraged that to help curb the potential impact on the tourism industry. 
And I think the interesting thing to note here is that consumers are actually ahead of advertisers right now. Um, consumers are looking forward and most messaging is looking back. Uh, so as Christian mentioned, employees are now working from home and that means they're actually banking their vacation hours and saving them for better days. Some are even in the planning stages or maybe just browsing. But it's really important for travel and tourism to keep their offering or their destination or their service top of mind right now because it's going to be key when travelers are ready to get going again. And I'm sure there will be a number of them. eMarketer did a survey and they actually asked how people plan to spend the money they save from their canceled trips. And 33% of them said they plan to rebook their vacation on another date. And even though this has been a critical impact for cruise, for the cruise industry and on the cruise um, market in general, cruisecomplete.com did a survey and they've actually um, had more people interested in booking cruises and have actually seen a 40% increase in bookings for 2021 compared to 2019. So it's really interesting because people are, as we think that um, people are not looking towards the future, they actually are. And advertisers are messaging backward. Um, So if there's anything we can give to the travel and tourism industry, it's, you know what, message for the future, people will be back traveling. Most of us that are sheltering at home are actually anxious and probably a little stir crazy to get back on a vacation. And maybe the one thing you want to look at is domestic travel, because that might be the thing that's most popular with travelers right now. Um, 60% of travelers said they would travel within their own country. Um, Well, only 19% said they would travel potentially outside the US, for example. Um, Maybe this is a trend that's going to, you know, that is reflective of several factors, including maybe economic uncertainty, the continuation of global travel restrictions, and a desire to support their local economy. So um, as much as I'm dreading or or sad about my canceled trip to Spain in May, uh, maybe checking my own backyard come September, um, you know, to the Maritimes might not be a bad thing to help Canada and, you know, to help your respective country get back on its feet. Maritimes are practically the same thing as Spain anyways, right? Yeah, pretty, very, very close. There's water. Yeah, there's a body of water. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I think, if anything, that it kind of prevent, prevent, uh, sorry, presents travel brands with a new opportunity to you know, pivot and, and be able to like, show consumers that they can rediscover their backyard, like you're saying, Pam. Um, I think that could be kind of fun. So I think, and like you're saying, I think we can all relate to the feelings of anxiety of, you know, getting out there and then exploring a little bit, but doing it in our own backyard could be a good opportunity as well. Definitely. And I think that perhaps those travel restrictions being, being lifted might coincide with the same time sport, sporting events or attractions are going to relaunch. So you can think of what that costly battle for audiences limited attention will be at that time if you aren't currently, um, I'm going to say, marketing opportunities to them today. That's awesome. Meredith, your work within 
uh, managing through uncertainty reports was a lot uh, largely focused on media consumptions and changes in media consumptions uh, for the consumers. And I think that's almost like the the foundation to to what uh, to what brands should use to plan uh, their advertising strategy for the rest of the year. What sort of trends have you observed, and um, what what are some key takeaways? Yeah, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about media consumption trends on this podcast because um, people are spending a lot of time online specifically as they're sheltering in place. And I think all of us can kind of relate to that, you know, seeing our screen time creep up every day and potentially watching um, shows that we'd never normally watch. I know uh, Eli is a pretty big fan of reality TV and he's been watching quite a, quite a lot of that. And I don't think he's alone in that. So, um, you know, in general, consumption is up. But what we're seeing across, you know, our platform and and our inventory partners platforms is especially a spike in streaming content. And I think that intuitively as a consumer makes sense, right? Like you're bored at home and you're streaming shows and videos and potentially like how-to videos and cooking channels and whatnot and fitness apps. Um, So it's really, you know, those types of trends, we're seeing that it's fairly intuitive. Um, But I think when you throw some stats behind it, it becomes even more staggering for marketers. So for example, you know, from Nielsen, when consumers stay at home, their media consumption rises nearly 61%. Um, So that just speaks to how much more time we're all spending online. And on our own platform, you know, we saw a spike in um, CTV avails up to 40%. So that begs the question, you know, what are people actually doing when they're increasing all this time and hours spent online or streaming content? Um, So, you know, we're seeing a lot of interest on news and government sites, obviously. Um, But something interesting that we've noticed is, you know, as the, the situation kind of unfolded in the middle of March, news sites traffic on news sites was spike, were spiking and, and government health sites, whatnot were spiking, but now it's kind of leveled off. And I think people are getting a little bit tired of the daily news. Um, there's a bit of a fatigue there. I mean, it's still up considerably from say this time last year, um, we're seeing like record numbers of people on news sites, but I think now we're kind of past that initial phase and we're starting to see people seeking out new content and, and new ways to stay engaged and, and, you know, try to make this, make the most of their time at home. So we've seen, you know, it, for example, fitness apps have, the installs for fitness apps have increased by over 45% worldwide from January to March. And, and that's just one of the types of things we're seeing. There's also been a lot of streaming and children's content. Um, and I think the parents who are listening to this can relate to that. We've seen up to 60% more streaming of children's content um, because kids are at home uh, as well and they're seeking to stay entertained. So, um, I mean, from a media consumption point, that's kind of what we're seeing. But I think the more interesting thing is to think about which of these trends will kind of persist over the few months, the coming months, and, and potentially, you know, as people are. I don't want to say the word release, but once we're, you know, allowed to kind of go back out there, you know, which of these trends will really stay, you know? So I think that's something that's really interesting to, to think about. And I feel like I'm going on a bit of a monologue, but again, I have a lot to, to, to talk about. 
in this. So I'm not sure if anyone has anything to add to that, that piece so far. You know, Christian said it takes 66 days to form a habit, but it only took me two or three days of reality TV to become totally obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different for everyone. Yeah, like, <laughs> Christian, you were baking bread, I think, during those 53 days, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's interesting that the last point that Meredith brought up, I think, is one of the more interesting ones is, you know, obviously things are changing right now, but um, when things do go back to normal and, you know, seem to have a semblance of what they were, uh, you know, back in 2019 or at the beginning of the year, like w- which one of these habits are are here to stay? And I think it's interesting to think about that. Um, it's hard to predict, but uh, I think that one of the effects that may last, and um, you know, it's still it's all it's all it's all tough to predict. But I think that one of the things that that may last, which is what you were talking about, is that CTV OTT subscription and the absence of the live sports hiatus. The mm-hmm. fact that people can't watch live sports on on uh, cable TV on linear TV anymore has maybe you know caused them to stop paying for those services and, and move over to a Netflix or a Prime or a Sling or what have you. And you know when things go back to normal and live sports start to resume again, how many of those people will move back to live sports? You know, likely a lot, but there might be some that linger and stay with their subscription services, which could put a lot of pressure on the big broadcasters to invest more dollars in CTV and OTT formats and potentially present a lot more live sports in that way. Again, it's, it's hard to predict, but that, you know, that would, that's definitely something that's been hugely impacted. Yeah, actually I was, uh, I tuned into a webinar uh, that Xander put on, I think it was yesterday. Um, the days are starting to blur together a little bit, but um, they talked about how, you know, we we talked about sports being canceled. So where are these sports, fans what are they doing right now if sports are not what are they watching and they actually mentioned that the average consumption time for sports fans has gone up compared to like what they would normally be watching uh and it's higher than most people because they don't have that kind of set tv time like that date with a, a specific a specific game and so they're streaming more and they're actually streaming more reality tv compared to other types of content. So maybe it has a similar type of pull that sports does. Um, but I think, you know, when we talk about sports, paid TV subscriptions is usually the last thing. Oh, sorry, linear live sports is the last thing tying people to their paid TV subscriptions. And a lot of people, up to 30% of users, said that they would cut the cord if they knew they could stream that content elsewhere. So, I mean, I think we'll see a shift there. And I think as users are become accustomed to being able to stream what they want when they want to watch it, um, you know, sports providers will have to kind of shift and, and follow that as well. Um, there's also been like a huge uptick in esports, And I personally am not a, a gamer, but I know some people on this podcast are, so they can maybe speak a little bit to the gaming aspect of things. But Something I found really interesting is that NASCAR actually put on an esports broadcast with iRacing and Fox, and they got pro um, NASCAR drivers to do like an esports race on, uh, and then they streamed it. And in March, it drew over 1.3 million viewers, which is like pretty staggering for people watching video games. And I think you know we're seeing this trend with esports kind of explode and this was happening before um the current situation and, and now i think it's just going to be exacerbated by you know the cancellation of live sports so 
I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you're referring to to me as the gamer on here, but I I actually, funny <laughs> enough, have not been really tuning into any esports and. Mm. What I've been replacing, I think, my sports consumption with, if I look at myself as a consumer, is definitely more streaming, uh, a little bit of reality TV for sure. You know, there's some interesting stuff um, on Netflix. But I've been, it's been 48 days since the English Premier League was canceled. So I'm, I'm counting the days. Or sorry, suspended. <laughs> it's, not, it's not canceled yet. It's, it's still only suspended. So there's hope there. But 18 I think days till that's a habit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's close. And, you know, I might, I might never go back. It's hard to say, but I think one of the, one of the major forms of content that I've been consuming, and this might just be me is like a lot of, uh, like memes and, you know, following like the former sports stars that you had been watching and like seeing what they're up to and like that kind of, uh, different types of short form content, which is often uh, on social media, but even like new platforms like Quibi, I believe it's pronounced. I don't know. I, I might've mispronounced that, but I think that like, that's kind of an interesting thing that's been rising up lately and who knows if that'll continue once normal production comes back Mm -hmm. i think the interesting thing here to note though is that there was so much emphasis put on a live event which you know is understandable but i think the sports brands and they are brands right teams are brands the nhl is a brand the nfl is a brand i think the interesting thing here is that they're discovering that their content and their library of content has a role to play online. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself consuming all the NHL classic games um, that are being shown. I even go back into my NHL game center online and watch the old games. And I think it's this just has proven to potentially the sporting industry that their brands um, don't need to be live all the time. And I mm-hmm. think that people are also getting really creative to your NASCAR esports example, Meredith, um, Mm -hmm. F1 just did the same thing. Not to mention the F1 um, Drive to Survive episodes on uh, Netflix, which was a remarkable branding strategy that they did even before the pandemic hit. So Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an interesting landscape for them now. And I think there's a lot of creativity and learning that, you know, has come out of it as a result. I was going to say, so some more emphasis on like creating a content library because you know you mentioned Drive to Survive, like that that turned me into uh, an F one fan. Yeah. Hmm. So if other leagues and other brands had created things like that, there's content that you know is year round, right? It, it's not just during the season. It's not you know just the trade deadline or or, or the draft. It's really a branding play that you know steps aside, uh, steps away, I suppose from you know the traditional game exactly and speaking of draft that nfl draft 2020 was the most viewed draft ever in the history of the nfl really yeah wow well people people are starved for content right Uh, (laughs) that that goes i think that goes insane yeah well it's pretty clear that you know people are looking for this content so what does that mean for advertisers because you know the spring sports season alone the the advertising budgets there are over like two billion dollars Right. And then with the cancellation of the Olympics as well, um, I think there was a stat there that uh, NBCU was standing to lose over, I think it was one point two five billion dollars in advertising commitments. So these are massive budgets. Right. And so now, you know, obviously there are people are being conservative and, and saving costs, but you can't just save all of that money and, and not funnel anything into into advertising. So 
where does that really leave advertisers who had made some of these commitments and now there's no content to, to advertise on? I think that's something that maybe we should, we should chat about a bit because I think, you know, with budgets like that on the line, it's going to create competition between advertisers as if everyone's trying to reach the same types of users um, and they're only kind of focusing and reaching them on these NFL draft events or, you know, these old games or whatever, you know, it's going to be quite competitive. So as advertisers, like how can you decide what budget should go where and and still stay competitive and not pay like a premium um, for these specific slots? So I think something worth mentioning here, I don't know, there's two points here that, that I'd like to talk about. I think like we're seeing from this conversation, sports fans are found everywhere and you can kind of find them across different channels and use different audience strategies to do that, right? So you can find the Eli's of the world who are now watching reality TV by, you know, targeting a sports fan audience across different channels. Um, or if you're trying to tap into those, you know, high, highly competitive um events like the NFL draft or, or some of the old sports games or, or whatever it may be, um, you know, using leveraging tactics like programmatic guarantee to kind of secure that inventory away from your competitors and make sure that your brand is staying top of mind to these sports fans who are clearly hungry and ready to come back to you um, once this is all over. Yeah, th- that's a really good point. And I think like one of the, one of the underlining subjects of that is, you know, whether or not you should be advertising right now. And I think that um, hmm. when it comes down to it, uh, I had a chat actually with, uh, this reminds me, I had a chat with John Shaughnessy, who, which you'll see in one of the episodes coming up. Uh, he's the head of data strategy at LiveRamp. And his number one point was along those lines. It was, don't stop advertising. Uh, perhaps that that's wishful thinking, but the numbers that he gave me really back it up. And I'll, I'll just talk about a few of them now because I've, it was one of the key things that I took away from the chat. And, and it's very relevant to what we're talking about right now. So dating back a century, uh, studies found that those that keep spending on advertising actually come out ahead. Mm. So the Harvard Business Review uh, said that during the recession in the 1920s, companies that maintained advertising or increased advertising saw their sales grow by 20% coming out of the recession, while those that reduced or stopped their spend saw a 7% decline. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1980s, when you had the, the recession uh, in the late 80s, McGraw Hill Research found that B2B companies that maintained or increased advertising saw a sales increase of 275% in sales for the next three wow. years, you know, which is really significant. And it's not really uh, saying, you know, it's not really a selling aspect, but it's really just the insights that are being drawn throughout history uh, that pulling back on advertising seems to be a common default, uh, you know, because it's a cost. And, uh, you know, f- when companies are in financial trouble or in a recession, they want to focus on on saving on costs. But as history has shown, advertising is like directly correlated with sales. And so, you know, pulling back, say, in a scenario where you pull back a million dollars in advertising, that's also potentially pulling back two million in sales. And so although the intent is good and the, you know, the reason for doing it is strong, it often actually has a negative impact. Hmm. And, and there's the last thing I'm going to say is there was four main reasons that, that John brought to me. And you, you'll hear this on the podcast, but I, I just thought there were great points. Uh, the first is the noise level drops when competitors cut back spend. Uh, the second one is the cost of advertising drops, which yields better deals. The third is that advertisers are projecting stability in a difficult time. You know, if you're not advertising, um, it kind of it might raise eyes, unfortunately, about, about hmm. you know, how that how that brand is doing. Um, and then the last one is that the share of voice uh, really leads to a share of market. 
and you know it's 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 really what the data the data backs up and i think that uh, that was like the main thing i took away from that chat and it's it's a, it's a tough question that that really changes brand to brand mhm i think though to that point christian you know it does change brand to brand um if you want to decide you know if this is the right time for your brand but i do think that this will you can't you can't be advertising today like nothing has transpired um i think you know, you have to update your messaging and your strategy to kind of follow not only the consumer trends, um, but just to stay, you know, n- on tone, not to be toned off or anything like that. And I think this kind of lends itself to, it, it kind of presents an opportunity for brands to get a little bit creative. Um, I know Pam and I were sharing yesterday, you, there's some advertisers it seems like some of the ads right now all have the same tone of we're in this together and and um you know the sad piano music kind of playing and um (laughs) you know like let's do let's manage through this but i think you know there's there is definitely a need for that type of advertising but i also think there's room for innovation here and again bringing it back to more tangible things that brands can do to help consumers and putting those things forward like you know back to the travel example hotels right now are putting up healthcare workers on the front lines and doing those acts and, you know, creating some sort of messaging with that. I actually saw a Dove campaign yesterday talking about hand washing and they said, you know, we don't care what type of soap you use. And this is Dove, right? We don't care what type of soap you use. We just care that you care. And and it was promoting how to wash your hands and making sure you're doing it for an appropriate length of time. So I feel like those types of ads, you know, really forcing brands to get creative and and providing like tangible information for consumers. Um, that's something that, you know, you can consider doing right now. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Meredith, actually, you're, you know, to your point of competition, I absolutely agree. You know, you kind of have a, a twofold challenge here because if every brand has more or less the same message right now and they all stuck advertising within one basically channel, which is digital. So how do you really stand out? And I think, you know, that's where that's where they have to overinvest potentially in in creativity um, that they put behind the ads that they actually promote, because otherwise everything just becomes very bland, very much the same. Um, and combined with the with the notion that Christian was saying that if you're not advertising, people start questioning: Is this brand even relevant? Do they even exist anymore? So you kind of stuck with that balance where you you want to continue advertising, but you have to really really reinvent yourself. But Eli, I had a question to you specifically around how our advertisers have been adjusting their media spends in relation to the changes in media consumption. Uh, for example, connected TV. Obviously, you know we've seen a huge spike in in people using that channel. But have advertisers really jumped on that opportunity? Yeah, um, you know, I feel like it comes in in phases. So I was, you know, reading a study actually by Pixelate that was comparing the first week of March to the last week of March, and it actually showed, you know, a fourteen percent drop in you know OTT and CTV spend, you know, throughout the month, which I thought was interesting because you know my personal experience has actually been, you know, it, it almost makes sense. People are home, their TVs are on more. You know, if kids are home, they might be watching educational content or children's programming. Uh, it makes sense that there would actually be a you know a rise in CTV spend, and I feel like that you know fourteen percent drop was probably indicative of you know the uncertainty of the beginning of the pandemic, and you know I, I know at least on Stack Adapt we've seen an increase you know since then as things have started to not necessarily normalize but 
the you know current situation has become a little more normal uh, in the sense that everyone has kind of realized that you know we have to be in market. Uh, CTV is a channel that you know makes sense uh, from from a logic standpoint. You know, pe- like I said, people are home. Uh, screens are probably on more than ever. So definitely have seen that, that. That was probably the most frequent question I actually got at the start of you know say shelter in place was what have you seen in, when it comes to CTV. Uh, and you know the answer to that would be we saw we saw a drop initially just as as anyone would see and then it started to steadily rise you know throughout there for, or from there sorry you know obviously you know we're seeing changes in 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 where agencies are deploying their um, the brand's budget but what sort of sentiment have you heard uh, just overall from from brands and from agencies uh, i would imagine it obviously everybody's business is impacted so um are there any positive sentiment that that you've been hearing are there things that people really looking forward to um you know coming out of this uh, lockdown yeah so I can really only obviously speak to the digital component of things but i think everyone you know times are tough for everyone and that goes from technology partners to agencies to brands um and I think everyone's you know cognizant of that, but you know some of the things that are interesting that you know at least I've seen some conversations you know circle around, and you know I think Pam, Christian, and Meredith actually all kind of touched on this was budget shifting towards digital. So you know when I speak to digital buyers, that's obviously something that's you know of interest to them. Where you know all of a sudden your billboard you know at the busiest intersection downtown means a little less when you know the foot traffic isn't there the same way. Uh, you know conferences and you know out of home budgets in general shifting towards but towards digital as being like the primary channel to reach people is you know obviously something that's exciting for any digital buyer uh so i think that is something that people have been you know fairly focused on and that's kind of at least from the digital sphere like some sort of bright light i suppose um but then also incorporating you know cool and interesting strategies, you know, based off of the current situation. So like we've been working with Nielsen and Comscore to do, you know, linear TV retargeting, uh, which I think is a, is a, is a great extension of, you know, broadcast television, like broadcast isn't going away anywhere, but anytime soon, at least, but being able to retarget people who saw, you know, a specific broadcast program or a specific broadcast ad, whether that's, you know, a competitor or your own uh, digitally is, you know, potentially a great, use of you know some of this newfound budget from out of home very interesting um pam with respect to agencies and i think this question would be really uh relevant to you because you you led the research project last year um around around producing the report uh called blueprint for growth um what sort of changes do you do you expect for agencies in the coming in in the coming months and what should be what do you think they should be really focusing on uh, on the short term so it's interesting because actually it was around this time last year where we surveyed marketers and agencies about 200 of them in canada and the u.s and we really focused in on mid-market agencies to help uncover um, how they can thrive you know in the ever-changing ecosystem and provide actionable insights well talk about an ever-changing ecosystem it, they're in it. They're in. They're in the throes of it right now. So um, when I look back and think back to um, that research, there were three key takeaways that really stood out then that still apply today, especially today and in the long term. So 
marketers, you know, we uncovered that marketers believe my market agencies offer more access to linear, you know, to senior leadership with more stable teams, personalized service, um, and agile responses to client needs. So there is that advantage of being perceived as a partner rather than a vendor. And I'll stress partner right now. Marketers see mid-market agencies as having a unique value proposition was the second key takeaway. They provide a feeling of, once again, partnership that emerges through cultural alignment, transparency, trust, and ever important today, communication. Um, It's not only held by marketers, this perception. Mid-market agencies were twice as likely to perceive themselves as partners to their client. So key takeaway number two, still focusing on partners. And um, the one thing right now that is, I think, critical is those mid-market agencies tended to prioritize retention um, over and renewal of existing accounts. So if they prioritize that retention yesterday, then they should be seeing it come out in spades today. Fundamental to the success of that brand agency partnership, once again, sorry, it's, it's becoming a very well-used word, um, is that they have a feeling that both sides have skin in the game. So right now, there is a whole lot of skin in the game for a lot of brands and their respective agencies. Um, so, you know, basically marketers ha- highly value those agencies that are proactive um, and that come to the table during their homework, right? And that they can take time to look forward and identify potential pitfalls. Well, right now there's huge pitfalls. So what is it that you're going to bring to the table and how are you going to demonstrate to me that you have skin in the game as my partner? So it's a partnership factor in spades. It's what we uncovered then. It's what's coming through today and it's what's going to carry them in to the future. As much as agencies are looking for answers from their partners, like us, brands are looking uh, for answers from their agencies. And the bottom line is, if agencies can't make their clients win, then they can't win either. Not just today or in the short term, but I think for all time. So I think one thing is crystal clear. Don't abandon your clients. Um, Keep that relationship close. Encourage your clients to keep or your brand, those brands to keep customers close. There's a sense of partnership and a sense of, as I mentioned, skin in the game, um, knowing that nobody's abandoning each other um, at this at this juncture. Um, and I think that's going to really drive things home for agencies for the rest of 2020 and definitely going into 2021. You know, Eli, you had some... Uh, interesting examples of what businesses currently do to stay relevant, to reinvent their business model. Maybe it would be interesting for you to share them. Yeah, definitely. I think that relates to, you know, Pam's point of, you know, seeing yourself as a partner. Like you said, things aren't ideal and, you know, we have to kind of figure out a way to overcome and, you know, stay relevant together. So I've seen things like, you know, catering companies that do weddings and conferences, you know, switch to, you know, food delivery at home where they deliver, you know, raw meat and vegetable and produce and whatever it may be for people to, you know, cook almost like becoming their own, you know, chef's plate. You know, on the flip side, I've also seen spin studios, you know, advertising that, you know, bikes are now for rent, which to me is unbelievable way to, you know, pardon the pun, but adapt. Because 
things like that and, you know, creative and innovative ideas where you can say like, this is our business. It's, it's kind of on pause for now because of, you know, the current situation. Um, but overall, there's still something here that we can, you know, not necessarily, I don't want to say capitalize on, but we can stay active with and, you know, make sure that we keep the lights on at the very least. And with agencies, perhaps, you know, understanding the dynamics of the media consumption, maybe they could potentially pivot into other offerings. So, for example, to our point that there's um, a huge surge in digital. So if the agency has historically been very focused, maybe uh, on traditional channels, this is an opportunity to accelerate that transformation into more of a digital focus type of agency. Uh, Maybe there's opportunities to uh, heavy up on creative services to, to help brands quicker adapt to changes within the market. So there's probably a lot of opportunities uh, for agencies in the market to, um, to use this as a, as a growth opportunity. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, the transition from say traditional media to digital media, I think is, is probably the most obvious or apparent one of, of, of the bunch, but it extends exactly into that point I was saying where it's, you know, we're, we have this brand and let's transition, you know, how this brand does business for the time being as well. Right. It's not just the channels. It's, it's also just the essence of the business at points. Well, team, I, I feel like we could speak here until uh, Friday, end of day, um, which is in two days. <laughs> it's, it was uh, very enlightening for me to, to hear these perspectives. I, I really appreciate your time today. And I, I hope whoever is listening has gotten value out of this. So thank you all so much for, uh, for joining and taking your time out of the busy schedule. And um, yeah, look forward to, uh, to seeing you in person at some time in the future. Awesome. Thank you very much, Vitaly. Thanks, Vitaly. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode today. If you like what you heard, it would mean a world to us if you do these three things. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you're listening to this and know someone who would find this episode valuable, please share it with them. And finally, please share it on LinkedIn. If you have questions or feedback or would love to learn how agencies or brands work with StackItApp, find us at www.stackitapp.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.